today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Rebecca, the mom, hears about this, so she runs to Jacob, her favorite son. She says, your brother is filled with fury. He's ready to kill you. You need to run. You need to go to Haran, which is where she's from, which is modern Iraq. You need to take off and flee for your life. Let your brother calm down. When the fury subsides, I'll call for you. You can come back and all will be well. Little does she know that when she sends her beloved son Jacob off, she'll never see him again. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Deceit, treachery, lies, bitterness, and revenge all play a part in the biblical account of Jacob and Esau. They also invade our lives when we allow them to. In today's study, Pastor Gary vividly displays the unforeseen consequences of the treachery Rachel and Isaac indulged in. So, too, in our own lives, we may think that scheming will bring us the results we want, but we can't always anticipate the price we may have to pay years later. Instead of devising our own way out, perhaps God would have offered us a better way. But did we bother to ask? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, In the Grip of a Grudge. Go over a few books to Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and look at chapter 19 with me, Leviticus 19. God makes it very clear. He says it very clearly, very plainly. There's, there's no getting around the text. And what he, what he says to us here in Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.18 is this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice again, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Circle the phrase, bear a grudge. It is a single word in the Hebrew. It is the word natar, N-A-T-A-R, natar. And Natar translates, if you look in Strong's Dictionary, it translates to guard or cherish anger. To guard or cherish anger. The idea is to bear a grudge is to nurture resentment and anger deep in your heart. It's to protect it. It's to coddle it. It's bearing a grudge. There is a sad but true illustration of this in the New Testament. If you'll turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, I want you to see a story with me that reflects this very thing of nurturing or nursing a grudge. It's in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Please note this story with me. And as you're turning there, let me set it up. Herod Antipas is a ruler over the Jewish province. The line of the Herods have been appointed by the Roman government to be like a liaison between the Jewish people and the Roman government. Very interesting, too. The Herod dynasty were Idumeans. It's a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Edomites. 
The Herods were the last of the Idumeans or the Edomites. Remember who the Edomites are? The Edomites are descendants of Esau, the guy in our story in Genesis 27. Because Esau's other name in the Bible is Edom. It means red because when he was born, he looked very ruddy. He had a red-like complexion, so he was also called Edom and also the red stew that he ate. And the Edomites are descendants of Esau. Well, Herod is a descendant of Esau. Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. The children of Jacob are the Semites, or the Hebrew people. Jesus, a descendant of Jacob, Herod, a descendant of Esau. Here you have the same conflict of the Old Testament happening in the New Testament because Herod is part of the political network along with Pontius Pilate who end up being a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. So you have the animosity here between Esau and Jacob showing itself in the New Testament where the, the animosity of Herod towards Jesus reflected in the text. But in this particular text... The Herod that we're speaking of is Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great. He is the son of Herod the Great, and he is going to behead John the Baptist. I want you to see the scene surrounding the beheading of John the Baptist. So here's Mark 6, starting at verse 17. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Pause your attention for a moment. Here's what's happening. Herod Antipas stole the wife of his brother Philip. Her name, Herodias. He had an adulterous affair, stole her, took his brother's wife as his own wife. John the Baptist comes along and confronts Herod, this political ruler of the day, about his immoral lifestyle. Don't anybody tell me that religion and politics should never mix. You see it right here. John the Baptist confronting the political leadership of his day. What you are doing is wrong. You're living in sin. You're living in adultery. Herodias didn't like this. She didn't like the truth being spoken so boldly. She convinces Herod, her husband, to throw John the Baptist in prison. And he does. But that's not good enough for her. I want you to notice as the story continues, verse 19, it says, So Herodias, underline, nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Interesting dynamic there. It's like, you know, he doesn't like the bold confrontation of this guy, but he is... He's strangely inclined. His spirit is drawn to the truth of what John the Baptist is saying here. Well, verse 21, it says, Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Please make a personal note. If you have a dinner party with a lot of big shots and you're three sheets to the wind, do not ever make a promise. Because he makes his promise here. Hey, you dance so well. Tell me what you want. You can have up to half my kingdom. Are you kidding me? That's what he swore to her on oath. And look what happens. Verse 24. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Without missing a beat, mom said, the head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. 
On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Notice what's happening here. Herodias, the wife of Herod that he stole from his brother, she doesn't like the confrontation here. Her grudge is not even legitimate in the sense that nobody's really offended her. She just doesn't like the truth. She doesn't like the truth so much that she has John the Baptist thrown in prison, but it's not good enough for her because she nurtures this grudge. She coddles it. She fuels it. She dwells on it. She stews over it. I don't like this guy. And she plots in her own heart how she can do away with him. The fact is that a grudge leads often to a greater offense. She's gone from holding a grudge to now wishing and getting John the Baptist's head on a platter. Please note with me, John the Baptist was not killed for preaching the gospel. John the Baptist was killed because of somebody's grudge. That's how he died. She dwelt on this till it overtook her life. She was held captive by this, and somebody died because of it. And I wonder, did she actually look at the head on a platter? Did that bring some comfort to her? Did that really soothe her grudge? Did it minister to her resentment? Did she put it somewhere where every day she could look at it and now feel like she had victory over this thing? Of course not. That didn't really help her. That didn't deal with the real issue. Now, because this is such, you know, it's kind of a heavy Bible study today, let me just lighten it up with this, all right? I tend to think of revenge like Chinese food, okay? I love Chinese food. But you ever walked away from a Chinese restaurant and then like in five minutes you're hungry? I don't know what it is. So that's how I think of revenge. Revenge tastes really wonderful at the moment, but it never really satisfies and you have to go back for more. That's what revenge is all about. It never really deals with the issue. It momentarily makes you feel like, yeah. But before you know it, you're still dealing with the same old feelings. I remember several years ago, and don't anybody judge me. I know you've done this too. I remember several years ago watching an episode of Oprah. There, I confessed it. All right? Don't judge me. You've done the same thing. And um, I remember this, this one episode, and the topic was cheating husbands. Okay? And Oprah had several ladies on the stage. I can't tell you another thing about the episode. I can't tell you how many women were on the stage, what they looked like, or what they said, except for one question that Oprah asked them. Never forget, here's the one question. She said to the ladies, how did you deal with your husband's infidelity? And I'll never forget this one lady's answer. She said, well, the day I found out, the day I found out, I went upstairs to our closet. My husband has a whole rack of expensive Armani suits, all nicely neat and arranged in order. She said, I went up and I took a pair of scissors and I cut off the left sleeve of every single suit. And everybody in the audience, they roared with laughter. They erupted in applause. They were cheering her on. Oprah was laughing and high-fiving her, and she said, you go, girlfriend, and everybody was having a big party. But I remember watching that and thinking to myself, pretty soon the studio lights are going to get turned off, and nobody's going to be high-fiving her anymore. Nobody's going to be cheering her on. She's going to go home to an empty house, and she's going to cry herself to sleep. And there aren't any amount of sleeves you can cut off to really bring healing to her heart. Because what she really needs is Jesus. Revenge doesn't really satisfy. 
Momentarily, somebody feels like they got the upper hand, but it doesn't deal with the deeper issues. And so oftentimes, holding a grudge can lead to a greater offense because when we don't deal with it properly, we end up sometimes reacting sinfully to what has happened to us. Number three, holding a grudge alienates friends and ruins relationships, as if we really need to say this. We know this, right? This is what happens. What happened in this story here is that a grudge completely divided a family. It completely splintered this home. Because here this deceptive thing happens, and then Esau holds a grudge, and then he wants to kill his brother. Rebecca, the mom, hears about this, so she runs to Jacob, her favorite son. She says, your brother is filled with fury. He's ready to kill you. You need to run. You need to go to Haran, which is where she's from, which is modern Iraq. You need to take off and flee for your life. Let your brother calm down. When the fury subsides, I'll call for you. You can come back, and all will be well. Little does she know. That when she sends her beloved son Jacob off, she'll never see him again. He never comes back. It'll be 20 years before he's reunited with his brother. But during the 20 years, Rebecca dies. She'll never see her beloved son again. The tragedy of what happens in families that get splintered and marriages that explode and relationships that are ruined... Because a grudge begins to divide people and relationships and families. And I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, it's, it's just what I'm dealing with. What do you mean it divides and it splinters? It's my issue, it's my thing, it's what I'm dealing with. But what you may not realize is that Hebrews 12:15 is so true. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root springs up, causes trouble and defiles many. That's what Hebrews 12:15 says. A bitter root springs up, causes trouble, defiles many. Whatever has offended you, if it begins to fuel a bitter root of resentment and anger, it will spill over and affect people that you know and love. It just does. The branches of this thing begin to spill over and other people are affected by what has affected you. That's why it's important that we deal with it because... Grudges can alienate friendships. They ruin relationships. Finally, number four, holding a grudge lords authority over another. Holding a grudge lords authority over another. It's not a good thing. Look at the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. You'll go there into Genesis 50. The story here in Genesis 50, which... Eventually, as we make our way through Genesis, we will get to, but just to kind of summarize so you know the context, Jacob, the guy in our story, Esau and Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. One of his sons is named Joseph. Joseph is going to be betrayed and horribly offended by his brothers. We'll talk about the details when we get to it. But the gist of the story is this, that his brothers later feel guilty for the way they've treated Joseph. They're convicted about it. But for a long time, they think, well, as long as dad is in between us and the brother that we've offended and hurt and mistreated, then dad's going to kind of cushion the blow and it'll be okay. Well, now dad dies. Jacob has died at this point in the story here in Genesis 50. And the brothers come unglued realizing that Joseph is now probably, now that dad is dead, he's probably going to retaliate because he's, he's got a grudge. What they don't know is that God's already dealt with Joseph and that Joseph is way beyond where they think he is. 
He has given his offense to the Lord, and the Lord has brought healing to his heart. So he's not holding a grudge at all, but they think so. So in Genesis 50, verse 15, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph, notice, holds a grudge? This is verse 15. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, and by the way, what they're about to say to him, we don't have any biblical evidence to support, so we don't know if they're making this up or if this is true. But here's what they say. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Notice this. What he realizes is that holding a grudge is putting yourself in a position of power because you lord something over another. That's why he says here in verse 19, Am I in the place of God? Because he refused to take the position of power and vengeance. That's God's place. Instead, he took the position of humility and forgiveness. And when he did that, he was able to be completely free from what his brothers had done to him. You see this. When we assume the position of power, the position of vengeance, we're taking God's place. That's God's role. He deals with who has wronged and who has offended and who has sinned. What he wants of us is to learn a lesson from the playbook of Joseph. We are to be people of humility and forgiveness so that we can be free. So we can be free from whatever has been committed against us. Joseph was free. His brothers are like on their face before him. They're like, oh, we know we did something terrible. And they should. I mean, they should be sincerely sorry. But the fact of the matter is Joseph was way beyond where they thought he was. Because he had this relationship with God that brought him to a whole new level of freedom. He was not held captive to the offense that had been committed against him. He was free. Some of you need to be free. Some of you want that. You know that you don't want to be enslaved any longer, held captive to bitterness and resentment and anger. And you want the Lord to bring healing to your life so that you can just be free and to walk in forgiveness. And I believe that God wants to do that for many of you today. One of the most incredible people that I respect so deeply, she's now gone on to be with the Lord, is Corrie Ten Boom. And many of you know her story. She lived during the time of Nazi Germany. They had helped the Jews hide. Thus, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It's a tremendous book. As a result, her family were taken prisoners. And the war came to an end. And she was released before she was killed in the concentration camps, but the rest of her family all died in Nazi Germany concentration camps. You talk about somebody that could have been filled with bitterness and hatred and animosity, that would be Corrie ten Boom. But she walked in the grace of God. She was a believer. She knew Christ as her Savior, and it was God who gave her the grace to forgive her captors and to forgive the people who killed her own family members. And she said once, and it was a, I think it's a beautiful thing to remember, she said this, forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment 
and the handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. And then she went on to describe forgiveness like the bell in a steeple of an old country church. She said, you know, when you pull the rope to ring the bell in the steeple, at first you have to give some really good pulls, and then the bell starts moving with momentum, and the sound of the bell, you can hear the clanging of the bell. She said, the interesting thing is that even after you let go of the rope, after you stop bearing your weight and bringing momentum to the bell, and you just stop pulling the rope, that even still, the bell afterwards will still sound a few more times until it eventually fades into silence. And she said, forgiveness is like letting go of the rope. But don't be surprised if once in a while the sounds of the offense keep ringing because that's just the momentum of what happened to you. But the real issue is let go of the rope. I had a dear lady come up to me last night after the service and she said, you know, I've had people all my life say to me, that I've never really truly forgiven. And I said, why is that? She says, because once in a while, the feelings of hurt come up, and I will weep, and I'll cry because of what happened. She said, and people will say to me, well, then you haven't truly forgiven. She says, I know I have forgiven. She goes, now I understand because of what Corey Ten Boom said in that illustration. She goes, I've let go of the rope. It's just still the sound of what happened to me. God wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in His grace and to experience the liberty of no longer being held captive to bitterness and resentment and anger, to no longer hold a grudge. That's what the Lord wants of you. Some of you are thinking, but if I walk in forgiveness, then it'll seem like what happened to me is diminished, like it was of no consequence, and it was a big deal to me. And God knows that. It's a big deal to God too. He sees the offense. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 56, 8, that heaven records our tears. God knows. But let him deal with the offender. Let him bring comfort and healing to your heart. Because God wants you to be free. He wants you to experience the wholeness of being free from what binds us, what keeps us captive. Jesus came to set the prisoners free, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He wants us to walk in that wholeness, in forgiveness, he wants us to be free. And some of you today, he's going to minister to, I believe, sincerely. He's going to pour out his healing grace. And by his Holy Spirit, some of you are going to experience the healing touch of Jesus as you walk in forgiveness by the strength and grace of his Holy Spirit. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Some of you are thinking, that seems so hard. It is hard. But by the help of the Holy Spirit, God's going to enable you to do that today so that you can be free. This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis taught by Pastor Gary was a blessing to you. 
If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know